You can't help someone if you're judging them. And I was like, how do you, I mean, because I just want to judge that person. I just want them not in my class. I want them, you know. And um, so I use, you know, whenever I felt the inkling, let's say during a class of teaching and getting vibe from a student for who knows what their thing is, I have can't help someone if you're judging them. Like, let, you know, but maybe have boundaries, obviously, if they need to be set. But um, those words, of that to me is like teaching gold. Welcome home, Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful. Bienvenidos to a new chapter of Now Serving Love. We dedicate this time to talk to individuals who have chosen to use their talents and their voice to uplift the collective consciousness. We are extremely blessed to be with you today. Namaste and welcome to a new episode of Now Serving Love. We're taking one order at a time and serving some delicious love all over the world. One of the many things that I love about this podcast is the opportunity to use this platform to honor those wonderful beings dedicated to use their voice and talents to uplift the collective consciousness. Today's guest has devoted nearly 20 years to spread the gift of yoga. Having thought myself yoga for over 15 years, I understand through my direct experience the beauty of it, but also the many challenges. As we talk with Alex on this episode, most of yoga teachers burn out after three or four years of teaching. Teaching yoga, it requires a tremendous amount of love and confidence to survive those hard days. The tough days will leave you drained and convinced that you can't teach. You have to have enough sense of self to survive those tough days. Let's hear it from a talented and seasoned yoga teacher, Alex Dawson. It's a very sacred way to begin our conversation. How wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for that sweetness. Thank you, Andres. So finally, we 
sit down here. This beautiful, beautiful day here in LA, summertime. Yes. I was just thinking about that with what's going on in our world this morning, how the irony of just how, is it an irony or, or a recognition of a gift, how really beautiful it is outside, you know? The outside yeah. is reflecting the inside. I would hope, but... <laughs> I don't That's know. what we're aiming for, right? Yeah, I would hope so. So what's going on? Are you, are you back teaching at Equinix now? I am. Oh, I went back for a minute um, when they reopened and for a couple of classes and it didn't feel quite right for me there, not as secure as I wanted it to feel and for myself and for other people who I teach to and interact with. So I decided to hold off for right now. Um, in some ways, it was so great, those couple of classes, to be live with bodies, even though I was wearing a mask. Um, and I look forward to the day we really can get there again. But I um, started doing an outdoor class this week, just so I can have the live experience of humans in front of me. <laughs> Okay. Together. So you're not, not longer teaching at Equinox? No, no, not right now. And um, I've been there for a long time, 17 years. 17 years. Yeah. Um, and my hope is that, you know, something changes and I can go back. Um, but for right now, it's, it's such an interesting thing because my other home studio of Wanderlust, you know, just closed which was a real heartbreak. And I'm not by any means saying Equinox is closing. I, I just, for today, I know I'm not teaching at any studios. So there's, you know, when there's, when there's any void or any saying goodbye to something, even if it's, I'm going to see you again, I'm sure. Um, sometimes it's, it's a, a time where new things come in either from external sources or from within, I believe, with hopefully within ourselves. And it's interesting because I'm when the pandemic first happened, I felt a very clear instinct of actions that I needed to do. And now as we're going into a different phase of it, I think that hopeful reopen that I can see hasn't really landed, I'm trying to reimagine what the pivot is like. Um, and I don't have all the answers. I, I really don't know. So what, when the, the situation that we are facing right now globally began, you mentioned that you have sort clear vision. What was that like? Instinct. It was in some of its survival, realizing some of my clients were corporate, were working at home and figuring out Zoom and how can we keep this going and maybe this is actually wonderful because now you can invite your East Coast, you know, uh, employees as well. Um, and then with my, you know, just students, how can they come to class? So I was figuring that out and creating a schedule and I was quite blessed in that all of my, my private clients, most of them were still 
wanting to work virtually. So that's been lovely. Um, and I can, I can see and, and sense even talking to them, some, some really embraced it and are like, I hope you'll always do this because I have a kid or, you know, I don't miss driving to the thing to see you or, or I moved away and now we can practice together. There are all, all of those gifts for so many teachers and students everywhere. Um, and then there's the, I, I just want to be in person. <laughs> I want to feel the other students and, you know, that sangha, that community. So how, what was the experience uh, teaching through like virtual ways? Interesting. That, um, I love it when it's two-way, when I can see the students. I like that. I prefer that to live streaming um, where you don't see the students. That feels a bit like I could just be putting in a video, um, even though it is, I know it's live. Um, I like, I like when I can see them. It, for me, during the beginning of COVID, stay at home, it was such a gift because I felt like I had a place where I was getting to see people regularly and teach. So it really helped me <clears throat> feel, I think, less alone during this time, staying in my practice. And it's tiring. <laughs> it's a different <laughs> practice. I'm doing all these classes physically. Um, and that's a different commitment and learning how to talk and do the practice. That's a different, it's a different pranayama practice. A whole new arena. <laughs> like <laughs> trying to get the words, breathe in, get the words, breathe out, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a whole skill. Mm -hmm. Why equinox? Why equinox? Why do I teach there? Or why did yeah, I? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Cause that was my, was that my first, that was my first like studio job. Um, in I think 2003, um, I remember seeing like Equinox and I remember seeing a picture of a woman doing yoga and this is way before like we're used to all of this imaging constantly in our face to like kind of strive toward like it was back during like more low-key advertising and <laughs> I was drawn to it and my friend Shannon Port worked there and she just kind of helped me get a meeting because I had taught for the graduate and um, they they just hired me. So I, you know, the funny thing is in the beginning, Andreas, my, my whole entry in was really kind of charmed. I was very blessed and um, I was pursuing something else. My eye was on doing something else. I wanted to do something else. What were you doing? I wanted to be an actress. Like I, I really thought I would be, <laughs> I was convinced I was going to be a full-time actress. So you were in New York, you were doing I was in New the, York. Yeah. trying to get in Broadway movies stuff. All of it. All of yeah. it. I was hitting my head against the wall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I did a Pilates teacher training like a weekend. Maybe I could do that. And it never really spoke to me like yoga did. And I, I realized like the thing with yoga, and I don't know if you had this happen, but I would go to class and I would get that yoga brain, the natural high. So I'd go do it again. 
And I would take a level one, two class one day, a level two, three the other day. I got to take a lot of different teachers. I started to make sure important phone calls were done after my yoga class. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's and so I got I got hooked into it. And then I was saw my body was changing. And it was never like, oh, I'm gonna do yoga and get in shape. It was just this byproduct. And then what happened? I don't know how far in, maybe even just a year in. I don't know why I remember this so as being so important because I don't remember what I was worried about. But I woke up one morning in my apartment in New York and I was very worried about whatever the worry of the day was, you know, and it, mind is spinning, the chatter, the chitta vritti. And I took three big ujjayi breaths that they taught us about the breathing and then I had this thought like, oh, that's what, that's the point of that. That's the point of this whole thing is that I can wake up right now. I can come back to the moment and I'm, I've now just self-regulated in, in the most natural way. And I remember noting that and feeling like I want more of that. That's, mm. that's part of my path. And when were you first introduce to yoga and how? When I lived in Atlanta, before I moved to New York, I feel like I probably took a class or two at a gym I was at. I'm sure there was yoga, but mostly I would say in New York when I moved. And again, when I lived in Brooklyn, maybe there was a class or two at New York Sports Club. Maybe that's where I was going. Anyway, then I moved to Harlem or near Harlem and... Um, I found a great studio. They were passing out flyers. It was as simple as come get a free class or 10 for whatever. And I did a membership and then I, and what was great about that studio is they had Jiva Mukti teachers. They had Om teachers from uh, Cindy Lee, I believe is her name studio that was there at the time and all kinds of teachers. So I really got to be exposed to a lot of, types of yoga, which I loved. That's how I was introduced. And you practiced for about a year? And I, yeah, I practiced. Once I got into it, I was mm -hmm. five times, six times a week. And so, yeah, probably a year or so. And then 9-11 happened. And then I was definitely practicing six times a week. I was in a yoga class when it happened. 9-11. When the... I mean, you never want this to happen to, to, you know, ever, anywhere, ever. At the time, it was unprecedented for a yoga class to be stopped. The owner of the studio came in and said the first tower's been hit. He probably didn't say that. He probably just said a plane crashed into the World Trade Center. And there was a lot of chaos. One person wanted to, like, kind of, say a prayer and another, you know, everyone else was like, I got to go people, kids down there. Um, and I walked out of the studio and the bus was right there ready to go. So I got home before the second tower even got hit. Um, and then all I did, I was waiting tables at the time at the Mercer kitchen. Oh, that place. Um, <laughs> all I did after that was, watch the news, worry, go to yoga, drink, 
watch the news, be freaked out, go to yoga, drink, repeat. And it was, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people did. Um, and that did, you know, at that time, I remember even the night before 9-11 going to yoga. I remember the weather. I remember how it was very windy, extraordinarily windy. Um, you went to yoga, then yeah. you watch the news and you drink. Yeah, that's what I was doing back then. Yeah, you know, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of people admit it or also do this, but for me, for some time, um, I think I was in such a, a I've always been gr gravitating toward things that will make me feel good and in a healthy way, but I didn't have all the coping skills. And for me, yoga was not enough of a coping skill to deal with my my addiction so and so that after 9-11 do you end up like taking a teacher training or how you ended up like this journey as a yoga instructor or teacher yes how did that go yeah right soon after I applied to Laughing Lotus I wanted to do Jiva Mukti I couldn't afford Jiva Mukti so I went to apply to Laughing Lotus I got accepted and then I may, I want to say just a few weeks before it was to start, I got a, I, I saw, I went to that same studio to practice and there was a sign on the door as I was entering the studio saying, we're looking for a yoga teacher for the graduate with Kathleen Turner. Um, a lot of millennials, by the way, I don't know if you know who she is, but she, at the time, <laughs> the time she, I, I certainly knew who she was. And, um, when I got out of the class, that note was gone, but I had already taken the number down. And this is before you had certification. Yeah, I hadn't certified yet, but I called and I, I had done the Pilates mat certification. So I was like, hey, I'm Alex. I saw your sign. I'm a, I'm a certified Pilates instructor experienced in yoga. Like I just like put it all you were in there, a, right? Put it all in a sentence together. Somehow I got that job and I got to teach them six times a week before every show, just 30 minute sec uh, sessions. And this um, is a Broadway show for those who are listening, have no clue what we're talking about. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, this is, <laughs> this. that was my first job teaching and it was the biggest gift. It was wonderful. It was mostly Kathleen and then a couple of the actors from the show would also do it. And I got there. I remember my boyfriend at the time, I was trying to get him to like, let me practice teach with him. And I would be like, okay, float your eyes open. And he'd just like roll his eyes. Like, just what do you mean float them open? Just, he was so not, and not that's, having that, it. That's a very tricky part. And the whole, um, to transfer from what you think what the command to transfer verbally is, is a tricky part. I, I remember as well in those first stages of calling friends and so on to teach them and to figure out and you try to say things and like, oh, uh, uh, right? I remember thinking, gosh, back when I practiced at that studio in New York, it's called Life in Motion. I don't know if they're even still there, but I remember thinking, how do these teachers know what to say for this whole time, for 90 minutes? How are they doing that? I thought that was... Amazing. And then I would also think, why would they ever not do pigeon? 
Like, why would you leave that one out? <laughs> Shouldn't that be every time? Fast forward now, I'm sure you feel night and minute, shit, there's no time. I know. It's wild when classes, there's sometimes I'm like, I need more time for sure. So you got into uh, this job, then you start working with Equinox and surely you move after you move to Los Angeles. And I moved to LA. Pursuing acting. Yes, because I was going to be an actor. <laughs> In fact, before I, before I went to Los Angeles, I don't know if I should tell you this. I'll tell you the story. So I probably have told you this, maybe. Um, I, I was at, this was a few months before I moved. I was asked if I ever taught like casts or no, if I would teach on a tour, on a tour is what it was. And I was like, I don't know. I'm about to, I, I would love to. I, I taught for a Broadway show, but I'm, I'm moving to LA. I'm going to be an actress. And she was like, oh, it's, it's okay. I was like, who is it for? And, and she was like, the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an actress. I got to go to, I got to go to LA. <laughs> You're like rolling who? No, I got to no, go to LA. I didn't. I was that, I was just so committed to where I was going. And maybe that was some protection I couldn't see because who knows how I would have been on a tour with a rock band. But um, I don't know. And I've since met that girl and we're very good friends now. She's been on retreat with me. We ran into each other in LA. Um but I have had, I've, I feel so much grateful for my path as a teacher. And this is why I feel like when I, when I meet teachers or people who want to be a teacher, like young, you know, you don't even have to be young. You just have that feeling. And there's, it's different from I want to do teacher training because I want to deepen my practice. And that is such a beautiful thing. But I see teachers and I always say to them, don't let anyone discourage you. Because if this, is, if this is your path, it's going to keep happening. It will keep unfolding. And I, so I try really hard to encourage anyone who has that like desire, that, that inner feeling. If there's a way I could mentor people in that way, that's something that would appeal to me because I believe in that. Um, even if, you know, I've seen teachers three, four years in, they burn out, they're done. And they had that fire. <laughs> They yeah. wanted to do it. Quite often, the, there's, a, there's a very romantic idea, I believe, behind mm -hmm. teaching, at least the time that we began many years ago before it was what it is right now. Mm -hmm. It was a sort of romantic idea. It was something really powerful about it. But even people, like you said, that had that really strong internal fire after a couple of years burned out. Why do you think there is so many... Currently, yoga actors, uh, yoga actors. Hey, that title came out naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Former or wanted to be artists, actors that turn into yoga instructors. I think one, it is a. If you look at it, it it's a. If you if you did look at it as a B job, for many it would appeal more than for some. I can speak for myself more than waiting tables. Um, so that, you believe it, like many just take that path as a, a way of having some income, you know, much fulfilling sort of environment. It feels more flexible. Um, for me, 
that was definitely part of it. I always wanted to do a good job and be good at it. But I certainly, I remember Kristen McGee in New York, who I was friends with. She's, she's always on magazines and stuff, Pilates and yoga. And she's like, do you want to be an actress or a superstar yoga teacher? And I was like, definitely not the second thing you just said. Mm. (laughs) Like, to me, that idea of like superstar, you like I, even the way that I, I heard, she probably never said those exact words, by the way, but that's how I heard it. And it was like, that's not to me what yoga is. Do you feel that moment that you had to choose between one or the other one or you felt like open to, I can do both? No, I thought I could do both because I, yeah, I definitely thought I could do both. As long as I lived within my means and lived mo- and could live, you know, be comfortable in a, you know, place I can afford so that I can expend the energy pursuing acting, then I was fine. So you came to LA pursuing acting and mm-hmm. want to be a rock star yoga teacher. <laughs> and I guess immediately you got transferred from New York to LA with Equinox, right? Yeah, I had one class. So when I got here in September of 2005, I had one class at West Hollywood and within the first, one client from New York got me a private, a a client from WeHo asked me to do privates, tipped me. I was like, oh, you don't, you don't need to tip me. He's like, just keep it. Like, I, I can't. I don't know why I was so lucky in the beginning or fortunate, blessed. I I just am saying I see it. It was there. Within maybe the third week, a girl came up to me and asked about teaching a cast in LA. And I'm like, oh. And she said, I took your class in in New York Tuesday night at Columbus Circle right before you moved. And I loved it. And I'm I'm out here doing a show. And I said, what's your name? And she was like, Sutton. I was like, oh my God, you're Sutton Foster. I saw you in Thoroughly Modern Millie and mm-hmm. brilliant actress. So I got to work with their, their cast out here for Drowsy Chaperone. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, in saying that, I feel like it's all sounding like such a humble brag. And it, it's really meant to just, just, I don't know why I was lucky like that. I don't, mm-hmm. it just was so blessed. She was yeah. so lovely. And I think I feel like it's really powerful when we are speaking our truth. And this mm-hmm. is this is how it's been. And you've been blessed to work at that level and yeah. being blessed to work with 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 this um, cast and companies and so on. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people can relate to this. It's a powerful the power yeah. is in, 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 in the truth, right? Yeah. And that's been your truth, that's been your journey. Yes. And then there have been times it's interesting. Once I feel like the scales tipped and I let it in more as my, like, started putting the acting, like, the power that had over my identity really shifted. I would say around 2011, soon after I got sober, after I made my short film and felt like, oh, I can do this and don't need to seek it from other people something shifted and and the yoga was becoming more of a thing in some ways and i'm not sure if it has to do with 
as the scales tipped and I feel like yoga became very much more my primary focus and my identity of being an actress really shifted. Um, in some ways, I think the teaching path has had more challenges. And I don't know if that has to do with me shifting that I wanted it to do well, or if it was just the timing with social media and how the world changed and also how truly saturated there are a lot of teachers, but what do you mean yeah. when you say do well? What does it mean to do well? As Or a, get to do some of the things I would like to do as a teacher. Like what? Like when I wanted to teach at festivals, that was a sl real slog for me. Like I did it and it's been amazing. And I'm so, every one I taught at was awesome. And I've met You enjoyed the experience of teaching at Loved it and I've met people who I will forever work with. Or students who, one came to Bali with me. She took one class in Whistler, you know. How you like it to unfold as a, in your teachings right now, festivals? Yeah, but to, to get to do them, I did get to do them. But it wasn't as like, um, it didn't come easy. Where I feel like in the, in the I want to call it almost a sickness of compare and, compare and despair, I would see, well, other people seem to just sort of get picked to do these things, right? And <laughs> It just makes me laugh because I think that's an internal conversation among so many teachers. There's a very renowned teacher, contemporary uh, to us in a way. And he, uh, when the, this Bhakti Fest began, this big festival of chanting and stuff, he kept asking me, how come they're not calling me? I'm good friends with all the main people and stuff. How come they're not calling me, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we, we were at a retreat in Colombia. And early in the morning, we do, it's called a silent walking meditation. So first thing we do in the morning is that we take half an hour and silently we walk this virgin beaches. There's no one around. And it's interesting, the pattern. So there was uh, this specific day, there was one lady that always walked very slow. And she was way, way behind. And there was this German woman that is like, like a sergeant, right? So the all the the slow lady is way behind, and then the German woman is way ahead of everybody. Uh, and the way, because it's silent, the way we we signal that we're gonna turn and go back to a retreat um, location, it's I either whistle or maybe I whistle, and that kind of change. Eventually, German woman is like 10 blocks, you know, ahead of everybody. Slow ladies, 20 blocks behind everybody. Gets to the time we need to turn back. I whistle, 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 and all of a sudden everything changes. The lady that was way behind, all of a sudden she's way ahead of everybody. Right. And the German woman who is like way, way, way away, <laughs> way ahead of everyone, It turned out to be way behind. Uh -huh. And that was a beautiful insight. Yeah. It's like there was moments in life where you walk your path. Mm. Doesn't matter how fast, how slow. And there's going to be times when you might compare yourself. Oh, but how come my friend is like... Mm -hmm. you know, and you never know when life is going to turn around. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're going to be way ahead. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love that. Uh, story, Andres, that is such 
that's it. Yeah, that's it. You can use it anytime. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> My gift to you. That is a great Dharma talk. We are all on this path in our own way. And it's like Ramdas yeah. said, we just walk in each other's home. Home. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at this point right now, do you feel that whole acting thing uh, still kind of on the side will be open or are you just like, I think I'm done with it. I'm focused on what I'm doing with my teaching Oh gosh, I, I never really pursue it. So that's probably the best way to say it. I'm open to things that come up. I, I did something a couple years ago, a small spot on a TV show, but um, so if that comes up, sure, I'm open, but it's not my focus. Teaching right now is your focus. Yeah. And how, what's your vision, how you like to be on, like that vision fold? Um, I'm really, really working that out. I, I, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of teachers have started to individualize more in some ways just to survive the transition. Um, I have enjoyed some of that for sure. Um, like having just teaching here in my space and and having people come. I love doing that. I would like to s- still do that. Obvious, not obviously maybe, but I would definitely want to have a space where I can teach in person again. That's part of my vision. I just don't know. Like your own studio? I don't know if it'd be my own studio. It, Why not? I said that, you know, like 10 years ago, someone asked me when I lived in Los Feliz about get your own studio. And I really thought it was so saturated in LA. And at the time, I don't think I fully thought about, at the time, actually, the East Side could have used more studios. But I was more of the mind of, I'd want to do something that would also reach an underserved community. I feel like does LA really need another studio with everyone wearing $100 yoga pants? Mm -hmm. And can we also, I love, by the way, I have $100 yoga pants, so I'm not saying there's a problem with that. I'm just saying that there's, there's a vastly underserved area as well. And I would like to figure out how, how do you, how do you bridge that? How, how could we, how could we bridge that? I thought, I guess what it could be something maybe along the Wilshire corridor where there's people could come in through bus and maybe we could stream the classes and monetize it that way. And it would be called breath without borders. And that was the beginning of my breath without borders idea that I never fully fleshed out. And now streaming and all of that is there's nothing new about that now. So it could be it could be like the the place in I think Chicago and I'm sure many other places do it in New York, the pizzeria, where um, if you buy a, a slice of pizza, they give one slice free to the homeless. Yeah, it needs to, like if I do anything, I feel like it needs to be that. And you know, with what's happening now as well in our country, recognizing white privilege which is very real. And even the way I just heard myself telling my story, because that's so in my mind right now, and I'm in a group talking about it with other friends, um, I'm like, wow, I guess, is my story a story of white privilege? Yes, it is. And um, how do we integrate better? How do we do better? 
And here's the thing. Let I me mean, ask you, like you say that very important. Do you do you believe that you have come into this plane of existence in this physical body, that you have come to fulfill a, a purpose is that knowing what you know at this point that to be in a human form, it's a very, very rare occasion. It's like one in, they say the there's a mountain that is six miles high, six miles around. And by the time this bird comes and puts a little silk on top of the mountain, by the time that piece of silk wears out the mountain, that's the chances we have to incarnate as a humans. Do you believe you have come here, you have chosen to be in this body and these conditions to fulfill a purpose and to enjoy? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, why... Why to label it, why privilege or not privilege, mm-hmm. but more like, can we really inspire mm-hmm. by being less? It's like like the story of, oh, um, a lot of people getting sick. So maybe throughout July, I'm going to get sick too, so everybody can feel good. Rather than the way I can serve the best is to to shine, to be radiant, to be joyful. Do you believe you have come to this point of existence with gifts and blessings to spread that light and that joy? Oh, yeah, I do. And I think even with the classes I teach right now on Zoom, because I've never really been a, a political kind of teacher or an activist, um, and even when the LA community was fraught in 2016 um, over the election. I let them know I, if what I'm saying seems political, it's really just the teachings of yoga. (laughs) Sorry if you, if you support who got elected and it sounds, I'm really just teaching the teachings of yoga. And, but um, I, I do believe, Oh, my point as I'm teaching now with the fraught energy in our world, yes, I want to be the I want to be the the space they click into that isn't out of touch, doesn't not know what's going on, but has found a way within myself to still be light and show you that you can have this, you can have some light too. And that it's, you know, it's kind of like. My best friend Cleo even, we were talking about it. It's like sometimes I feel it's irresponsible if I'm not like, you know, upset in a sense, if I'm not really talking about that. And we were talking about how just as we would teach someone to stand in Tadasana and straighten, you know, your legs and the toes together and the crowns up here, emotionally everyone is wrecked and their Tadasana is crooked. So yes, we come to yoga hoping the teacher will help kind of, you know, align our inner emotional, um, inner um, energetic body, as well as we're aligning warrior two. You know, it's it's really, it's it's equally important. So I think getting to be a light and, and sharing my access to that in any way I can, absolutely I want to do that. It's a, it's a very powerful point you touch because... And I don't know nowadays how people see it, but I remember back in the day before I started teaching, I don't even teach, <laughs> as I start inspiring and guiding. I remember I will, I will see some of these yoga instructors like 
in a pedestal, kind of right. like, wow, right? And I remember there was, there was this woman, I, I, I really put her in a pedestal and she was up there and like, wow. And then I was invited to- Is it Alex to, Dawson? What? Yeah, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was invited to this, this social gathering and I remember that this woman was there and I saw her in the corner and um, I saw her, she was like drinking a glass of wine and smoking a cigarette. And I was like, what? <laughs> she smokes and she drinks, what? Because at that time, before social media and everything, it was, and it was very, you know, few yoga instructors. And it's to understand, and I don't know how, again, how it's for people nowadays that are not in this environment world that we are at this path, if they're still looking at us, kind of like, wow, this special beings. And there's a main difference between a teacher that I understand now between a teacher and a guru. A guru is the way. A guru is the way, is an enlightened being, someone who transcends physical, mental planes of existence, where a teacher, it's only pointing you towards the way. So they might have a cigarette in their mouth when they're doing it, yes. Yeah, but, and it's something that happens a lot, um, I don't, I don't engage too much into it, but um, people judge so easily and, and people believe because you're doing this that you should be in a certain way or you, you're not allowed to, to be human. Or, But most of the yoga instructors that we know nowadays and even worldwide, the most famous, they all emerge mainly from Western societies, they went to just regular, you know, schools and colleges and maybe they had a career that veered into this. They're not born into some sort of like temple and they were like, so those are elements that are very important that I guess a lot of times people, unless you are on the inside, don't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Why? And um, I remember a good friend, uh, our good friend, Keith, Iris. Iris, yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember a long time ago, he was the, the manager at that time of uh, West Hollywood, which was wow, one, of the, one of the two only locations or three. And I remember that there was a meeting and he said clearly, and this is my beginnings in, at Equinox, is 10 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to notice how much you have grown as a teacher, how much you've changed. And me being this like 20-something-year-old cocky, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm like, what the fuck? What's this guy talking about? I'm already, I'm, a, I'm super good. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm so good at what I do. Uh, I was pretty confident in that sense. And I remember 10 years after when uh, about that time, and by the way, I knew from the beginning that Keith was gonna go high because he had he had that. Yeah. And I remember like t ten years after when he moved to New York, and now he's like the owner of Equinox. <laughs> um, I remember sending an email saying, "I I had this 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 moment, and I'm so grateful." And uh, wow. yeah, it's, it's really really wild. So for you, eighteen twenty years, whatever, it's been a long time. Why today, I'm asking you, why do you teach yoga? 
probably the thing that's coming to me first is because I know it's helping people. And that feels good. It feels good to know that however I'm teaching that class, someone sends me the email or says the thing and that it actually is bringing them some peace um, and then I get paid for that. What? That is, that, that actually in the beginning blew my mind about teaching was that people actually thank you and are like grateful and you helped them. And I think maybe that has carried me through that feeling of, of that experience that with another human being. It's what uh, Nim Karoli Baba Maharaji, that great saint, said when he was asked, how do we experience moksha liberation? He said, feed people, serve people. Yeah. And basically it, that's what we're doing. It is the best, it is the best feeling of, that I get is, I mean, I've, and it's been in such interesting ways too, where even with the chanting or sound bath, which I don't do as much of, or if it's on a retreat, the, the healings that have happened in Ojai, the last time I was there, because I've done retreats there now for 13 years, and the last time I was in that studio, I got so overcome with emotion because I, I could see the faces in my mind of all the people hugging or like, t- you know, the, the real stuff that, that has happened. And, you know, the, there's that book that I'm going to have to get on audio to really get the whole, to read it. I'll have to listen to it. The body keeps the score. You know, it. the body does keep the score on a lot of our stuff. And yoga is such an incredible way for us to liberate, have freedom, truly. So I would say that's why. That's why I teach. Um, and sometimes, Andreas, it's like this with me. Things are like, instinct and like I can only describe it like a magnet like I just know an inner knowing this is what I'm doing probably the most uncomfortable places I've been is when that instinct is quiet and I don't know which I'm sure is part of the divine plan as well right Mm -hmm. the not doing those moments of discomfort or um, how do how do you yeah. how do you manage during those moments? I'm telling like, do you do you? I don't know if you have it now, but do you have that dream where you're teaching and everybody starts leaving the class, or you're gonna chant and and mic doesn't work and things like that? Do you have that those kind of dreams? I don't think I've had those dreams no, lately. I, lately, I've had unfortunately terrible dreams during COVID where Rumi's getting hurt, my dog. But not none like being in front of a public or anything like that. I don't think so. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I haven't had those in a while, but I used to get those a lot. And I remember talking with a, a good friend, uh, Govindas, uh-huh. and he used to get that thing as well. And one time um, I was at XL, the old XL in oh, Venice. It's like 20. 11 or something and I was doing these different concepts like I did the first one was the yoga side of the moon and then I did this yeah. thing it was called yoga to you too 
And I remember it was it was me and and the, the David Haribol Daz who played oh, the drum. Amazing. So he was us, and we started the class. It was like a special event, and that room was packed. You know, like I don't know, hundred people. And gradually, one by one, started to leave the class. It felt like my dream has come true, and by the end, there was like five people left or something. And throughout the whole thing, you got to carry on. Wait, this happened in real life. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you were doing the yoga side of the moon or yoga no, for we're doing, you too? We're, we're doing something called yoga, yoga to you too. And then you're playing at the end? I'm, I'm doing basically what I'm doing is like I'm playing music, you two music, and we're doing like a sequence through it. It's that whole creative thing. Yeah. And little by little, one by one, people start to leave the room. Mm. And I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm living the, 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 the nightmare is oh it's real. And then it's how to remain centered, how to right. remain uh, grounded. And I look, at, I look back at that and it's like one of the greatest, greatest moments in my teaching career. I'm so grateful. And more, more even more grateful to have overcome that without any sense of, of um, I shouldn't be doing this or insecurity. It's like, and it, I guess what it, in the beginning, what always kept me safe, it was like, it's not my deal. It's not my problem. And if they live, I don't know what's going on with them. God bless them. It has nothing to do with me. I have two thoughts that reminds me of, let me organize them. Oh, well, one is current Zoom. If people... Recently, the numbers dropped in my classes because things are opening or maybe they're, who knows why, right? I actually don't know why. And I did what I've done in public classes when numbers are suddenly low. Make it the best class for those few people who are there mm -hmm. and put my attention on them as much as I can and not on the fact of who's not there. That is like a deep practice for me. Um, cause I could still help those few people who are there. Now with people walking out of a class, that reminds me of how I feel like, and it won't happen. It, it kind of is a similar thing with waiting tables. Everyone should wait tables at some point in their life. I was just going to say, I was going to say that. Yeah. If, if you ever had to teach a yoga class, you will then become a different student in other people's classes. And when I used to teach intro to yoga, <laughs> I would say, hey, listen, if you are new people in my class, I'm going to try not to mess this up for you, <laughs> you know? And if you hate it, try other teachers. And then if I'm teaching an intro, I'll say, you know, if you are in a class and you're not digging it, I mean, I either try to stay or I tell them I'm not feeling well. I just, for me... I would rather not be the person who rips up the mat and has to show the teacher I didn't like a class. Not to say that's what was happening in that class, but yeah, I was just like I remember when when I used to sub classes. One of the first things I would say, <laughs> I'm on many things. Be like, um, you see the door? That's the door right there. Is your chance to leave, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to log in, you're going to be here with me. Right. So now you can leave. But yeah. two things you, you touched there are very important too. One is that this idea of keeping score 
it's a it's a massive hindrance in our path, and it's, a, it's just a tendency we we've been wired to keep score. Let me wake up and see if I get the email and 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 if I got this thing. Let me see how many people like my thing. Then see how many people in my classes. Keeping score, right? It's it's something that's being wired. So it's it's tough to to liberate ourselves from that. And the other one, like you said, I remember when uh, I was also uh, waiting tables years back. Um, I created this alternate ego persona, and <laughs> before I started my shift, uh, uh, I had a little um, ritual where I would look in the mirror and say, like, "Okay, now you are Andre, the server." <laughs> And it was my alter ego persona that I created this character. So when I would go and wait tables, whenever somebody was like really pissed off or would treat me like whatever, I'll never take it personally because it was my alter ego it was serving. And I always kept in mind, I'm going to be here for five hours or so on. And in five hours, I'm going to make 200 bucks and you know, tips and I'm out of here. And then you're going to keep on carrying that for the rest of your life. I'm not going to get into that. And that really, really, when you say everybody should wait tables, which I agree for so many reasons. Speaking of domino effect, being in, in that environment for four, six years waiting tables and then doing the yoga thing, it always felt kind of like, oh, thank God I was practicing service and not taking it personal. Yeah. I had a, a mentor, I had an experience teaching a class once where it felt like a great class. It was crowded. I got the, that was great on the way out. And then I'm talking to the one girl in the locker room and I'm like, I haven't seen you at the other, at WeHo in a while. And she's like, you mean the HIV club? And I I couldn't even talk. I was like, what What did you say? She's like, well, that's what people call it. I was like, who calls it? Why, why, why would they call it? Why? I didn't, I, I, was, I was so stunned. I'm like, I just taught a fucking yoga class and you're going to say that shit to me. And then I got in my car and I called my mentor and I was crying. I was just like so mad at myself because... I felt like I didn't say enough. I didn't know what to say. And she said, Alex, obviously, this is a person who is so disconnected. There's some deep, deep pain in that person for them to say that. And then she said this to me, which changed my teaching forever. You can't help someone if you're judging them. And I was like, how do you, I mean, because I just want to judge that person. I just want them not in my class. I want them, you know. And um, so I use, you know, whenever I felt the inkling, let's say during a class of teaching and getting vibe from a student for who knows what their thing is, I have can't help someone if you're judging them. Like, let, you know, Maybe have boundaries, obviously, if they need to be set. But um, those words of that to me is like teaching gold. Yeah, and it's a very simple concept, but uh, very simple. But it's not easy and requires a lot of practice, especially because we are in a very open, vulnerable kind of space. 
when we are doing these classes and in front of these people in an environment like Equinex where uh, a lot of people, I feel because I'm paying a very expensive membership, I'm entitled and you're my servant and you're below me. But uh, it's the greatest experience, right, to, to remember to practice that those who are the hardest to love are the ones who need it the most. Who knows what pain in, in, again? Mm-hmm. That's what she said. What's the pain within, and mm-hmm. and to have the ability to to rise above that? It's like whatever is saying is out, out of pain, and she needs lots lots of love. Mm-hmm. Right? What does it mean for you surrendering? Oh, I see surrender as a powerful action. Actually, I see it as. Um, the the fight the ego fight kind of i see it from a fist to a non grasp i see um surrender is letting god in surrender is or whatever that means to me in that moment god or you know something other than my agenda <laughs> and it's accepting i was just texting a friend today who used to come to ohi retreats and about acceptance and how that's been so challenging. And within seconds of sending that text, I'm at the bank having <laughs> no acceptance of what was <laughs> like, um, it's like the practice is so, it's so constant, you know, some moments are easier. And then right as I'm thinking about acceptance, life is like, really, can you accept this? Can you accept this no answer one more time? and all your fear that you're having. Um, and surrender is, so surrender is a practice. Surrender often happens when I'm really tired out from the fight. And the resistance has to like ease up. Like the beautiful line in the Alanis Morissette song says, the moment I let go of it was the moment... I got, I got more, more that I could, I could handle. handle. Love her. Wow, I saw her sing at Arroyo Seco Festival a year and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to India uh, years years back, um, 10 years before going first time to India, all I was listening was to um, just Kirtan chanting. And when I got to India... After a little bit, after not too long after being in India, all I wanted to listen was Western music. And one of the first things uh, I started listening was back to Elias Morissette and that, that track. Thank you, India. Thank you, right? And I was like, oh, now, now I understand why she's singing that. Yeah. She was ahead of, ahead of us on that one. So in this uh, sur- surrender experience, nowadays, what? is it that you mainly teach when you teach yoga? It's a good question. It's a good question, everybody. It's I a good always, question. I teach what feels relevant that day to me. Um, a lot I've been talking about resetting the nervous system. Um, gosh, it really varies. It really varies, but I almost always try to connect to something that's off the mat related, 
yoga principle related. Um, I'm asking you in the context too, because it's very important to understand that this sort of methods, whatever methods you're using, the idea is that eventually you, um, they sort of like self-destruct rather than become attached or defined or dependent on method. The method is only there to help you realize. But once that happens, the, the method should self-destruct. I don't know if this has to do with what you're saying, but I have a weird memory where I often will just forget what I taught and I'll sense in the moment it was very relevant or I'll sense in the moment I hadn't thought to say that, but it feels so relevant right now and it keeps threading in the class. Mm. And when I can teach in those moments, those, to me, that's the best way I can teach. When from ohm to ohm, I'm connecting to something else, bigger, if, if I can have that at all, then, you know, obviously, sometimes I, I do have some plan of what I want to say, but I'm also still heavily improv improvised. So in this, in, the, in your own practice right now, what are the, the, the main sort of like teachings, practices that you follow? Mm. Always breath, always breath practice to try to calm chatter. Um, I've been a little bit more into feeling a strength in places, like letting myself dig into places that felt, not supported. Um, what was your question again? <laughs> My question was, what are the, the, the practices that you teach currently from your own experience that you feel they, they serve the best? Do mm. hmm. you, Give you a little bit of context there. I remember actually you and I, we we were introduced to a, a character at the same time called Mark Whitwell. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the first time that I really heard of Krishnamacharya in the context that I heard, which he was put like on the context of Krishnamacharya is the teacher of the teachers. Krishnamacharya is the person who rescued yoga and brought it back to life. And we all practice him because Krishnamacharya. So he became kind of like the god of yoga, Krishnamacharya, because he was the teacher of, of a guy named Patavi Joyce and uh, Anger and, and these characters were the ones who sort of spread out this contemporary yoga in, in the West. So for a long time, I was under the impression, okay, the teachings of Krishnamacharya, sacred. Got to read all the books of Krishnamacharya, got to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Being in India as well the first time, having a bit, a, a bit more like immersion in that culture, understanding, and nowadays is very different, but understand the concept of the caste and finding out that, for instance, yoga back in the day of Krishnamacharya was very selective. Only the, the top were allowed to have access to it. And Krishnamacharya, without taking anything away from it, he was tapped into royalty and he was actually hired by one of the, the kings to 
basically bring bring his students and perform for him. And so there's there's a lot of unknown things that became very much, this is the way, this is the teacher, this is the teacher of the teachers and that's being spread out. But only until we have our own experience and open our eyes, we realize there's so many other great, incredible teachers and teachings that don't necessarily come from this source. So for you and your journey, what are those teachings, practices that you have incorporated and now you give that to your students because through your own experience, you have felt a transformation, which ultimately is what we're all looking for, right? Transformation. Mm -hmm. I'm drawn to mindful meditation right now, teachings of Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock. Um, I'm, and that yoga is a moving meditation. For sure, I'm drawn to that. Um, Tell us about a little bit your morning routine, for instance. Do you have a morning routine? Meditation, tea, hot water, lemon. Um, that's mainly my morning routine. And meditation, what kind of meditation? It's usually, it's, it's, gosh, over the years it's shifted. You know, we've done Vipassana and um, mostly I did transcendental meditation, Vedic. Um, but it's not really Vedic, it's just a quiet sit. Sometimes I'll do body scans. Um, trying to connect again to that higher power source energy. Who can I help today? What do they need today? I think that's probably my biggest teaching is I try to think, what do they need today? And if it's a Zoom class, I try to at some point in class remember who was on the screen and think about them. Or if in Shavasana, I'll try to, scan them in my mind and just touch because I can't touch them in Shavasana physically, just in my mind, meditate on them, um, hope they're well, wish them safety. Um, that's more my teaching right now is to kind of bring myself into where they are and sense what they need. Do you feel a sense of duality in a sense that I'm going to ask for guidance to something that's Wait or separate from you, or you feel you're an extension of that that you're asking for guidance? I think it's within us, but it's sort of when when it's asked, it's it's um kind of clearing the clutter to hear it, sense it. But I think that the access is within. I don't think it's outside of me. Um I think when when I saw Mark that day with you, I really felt like I had taken one of the first yoga practices of my life, even though I'd already been teaching and practicing for years, because I finally understood how to articulate the non-duality of my spiritual, what resonated for me spiritually, call it God or energy, whatever, that it's within me. So that is always going to carry, I hope, into how I teach. Um, and trying to connect to that in a sense as I'm teaching. It is different online though, virtually. It's a it's you know, it's a different ask. And so it's it's a bit like having you ask me that question right now is a great great because the fact that I can't answer it 
is humbling. I can't answer it, but I also generally could have trouble with that. It's a very anytime. It's partly why I won't want to do teacher trainings when people get really esoteric and. I just, I don't know if it's an attention, like even the mantras, I can't remember all the stories. I'm like, do I have to remember all the stories? Can I just know that I'm shifting my vibration to something higher and of love? Can that be enough? That's exactly what, what we're talking about. The method should self-destruct. Oh, when, okay. when you get, right, when you get caught into, <laughs> what is a mantra, like, what is a mantra means? And I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to keep doing that. And certainly going back to, yeah, that, that first class with Mark Whitwell was certainly a beautiful gift and, and yeah. understanding of, of yoga, especially being here in the West and him coming from being with Krishnamacharya, different men mentality and so mm -hmm. on and, and coming here um, and, and spreading a message of non-duality, like mm -hmm. what is actually the practice of yoga, of non-duality, mm -hmm. uh, a practice where it's not trying to get somewhere or beat someone. It's a practice of, of, of realizing that you're deeply loved and deeply cared for. Yeah. At all times, as Mark would say, even when your mind doesn't know it. I remember him saying that. Even when your mind doesn't know it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting world of... Uh, if we go into the whole um, yoga community atmosphere and this contemporary times that we're, we had experience, um, because within the beauty of it as well, there's been so much sort of ego involved in certain circles. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in some ways, the beauty of what yoga really is about has become this sort of like status or I am this... Uh, in this role and you're going to obey to me and I have the power and it's what I say and my truth is the only truth and this is the only path. And unless you sing this Hare Krishna mantra all the time, you're going to you know, be doomed. And it's, so it becomes very sectarian, very much like this is it. Whereas I guess the, the beauty of being exposed not only to that, but mainstream and, and, and being in festivals and, having a chance to go and do retreats in other countries is it's, it's how can we bring this into mainstream? How can we make it vocabulary where there is not just one way, but there's infinite ways mm -hmm. and the method doesn't become a gel, but it becomes a, a, a vehicle that eventually is going to, you know, lead where, where, wherever needs to lead. Mm -hmm. It's like the story of, of, um, God and, and Satan walking and, uh, God sees a shiny object and he picks it up and says, oh yeah, it's truth. And Satan says, oh yeah, let me organize it. <laughs> 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 so what's, what's the next chapter now? Oh, I, what is the next, the next chapter right now are my online classes for sure. And, um, I'm doing potentially some private retreats, um, where people get their own group. So they're kind of already contained in a bubble. Um, some of that could be happening. And, um, I'm in talks with a couple of friends on possibly creating a pod of, 
how we could share our teachings together. And, you know, I've never wanted to do the teacher training so much. I've done some and actually have enjoyed it. I did some for Wanderlust, um, but it hasn't been my big focus. Like a lot of teachers at this point would have done loads of teacher trainings. And um, I mostly like teaching students and retreats. But when I was thinking about how we could integrate, you know, and bring more equality into our, into our world, I did think if I did a teacher training, I would only want to do it if, you know, we could have it sponsored and bring in, you know, diversify the, the, the teachers, right? So that that offering is there too. Hmm. Um, so that, that could happen. Um, but truly today, Andreas, where I am, I'm back to this, like, I don't know what's next. Which is and a lovely place to be it's at. It's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. Um, it's I, uncomfortable for you? Yeah. Wow. wow. I love it. You love not yeah, knowing what's because it just means there are infinite possibilities. There's no, this is what I'm going, this is what I'm going to do. Is more like, okay, speaking of surrendering, I'm available. What's next? I think if I could just spend a week with that as my mantra, I'm yeah. available, what's next? That probably would be the most powerful thing I could do. Because um, I do still feel I have a real connection when I teach and there's something inside of me that I, I, I know when it's happening when I teach where it's like, oh, where did that come from? You know, that intuition. So I do feel I want to still do that. And like in terms of the asana and sequence, sure, I know that too. That's It's an interesting society because you've been teaching for nearly two decades, 20 years. And anybody else in the sort of like more traditional job, of 20 years of experience that will be right kneeling at their feet and kiss their feet but in this sort of like world that we move in which is uh, fascinating and I want to ask you how do you feel yoga is such a sacred ancient practice ritualistic practice that nowadays pay you know a couple grand and you and one week are certified yoga instructor. How you feel about this whole new world of yoga teachers and how it's being sort of like in a way portrayed and and the way people are coming into? Um, I feel like just do you. If they if there's a lot of teachers, there are a lot of teachers. I think it is a very easy thing to get a certification. It is another thing to have experience doing it. I also think there are some very new teachers with a lot of promise and natural. They just, they're in it already. You know, it's, I, don't, I can't say why. Just as there are teachers who have many, many certifications and I don't want to take their class. So it's, it's not always about that it yes i believe training is important but i also think that training's largely been you know 
monetize and capitalize. You know, it's it's a business too. Um, so I think it's it's an easy entry into job, just like acting. Anyone can go get some headshots and start doing it. Whether you're going to work or not is another thing. You know, I think the only field where the amount of training for amount of jobs is somewhat well allocated. Like we're only going to take this many students and there are this many jobs. The only profession that I know of where that's remotely proportioned is the medical field. Mm -hmm. Tons of lawyers, tons of law schools, tons of people suing each other. (laughs) Um, Teacher training off the hook, actors off the hook, you know, but that's that is our world right now. And again, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell any new teacher not to do it. I mean, and if it is that like I just want to be a you know famous on Instagram, okay. And that you know that's their path and process to find what that's about. What's the you know? But um, I I've taught someone. I had to reteach after they went through teacher trainings. They hired me privately. She did two teacher trainings, two. Wow, and yeah. she came into me and her, she, her trikonasana, her triangle pose, her feet were turned out. I'm like, you did two teacher trainings and you don't, they didn't teach you that the foot goes that way. Oh. You know, there's that. Do you ever felt or you still feel you have that sort of, imposter syndrome oh my god the imposter syndrome wait what do you mean as a teacher yeah i did when you asked me that question about what did you ask me what am i teaching right now yeah cleo always asked me that drives me crazy but she sometimes means sequence so heady for me um so that makes me feel like an imposter like oh i don't know i don't know how to answer this but i used to have the imposter feeling I don't have that so much as I did when I was drinking. There I felt like I knew it was really up. You so know, now- you, as, as much as a high functioning, high, high functioning as I could be, part of me felt like, yeah, but you still can't really deal. And you got to do this thing to cope. And I had a lot of shame around that that I don't have anymore. It's so freeing. And luckily, luckily you didn't have those dreams where people, everybody, everybody was leaving the class. I didn't, I don't have those dreams. <laughs> those were not my stress dreams. I used to get stress dreams about waiting tables. I had stress dreams when I moved to New York. Um, and lately I've had these COVID stress dreams that my dogs hurt, but that's just anxiety. What do you think are the most, some of the most important things you can share? Just maybe two, three things that you can share with new yoga instructors wanted to be? I The thing I said about you can't help someone if you're judging them. That's one. Um, uh, a good friend of mine, an uh, actor now, just told me that. I cannot portray any character if I, I'm judging my character. Oh, interesting. Really? Yeah. Um, I like... I once tweeted this out, teaching is listening. And I still believe that. And again, it's a little bit more challenging on a virtual platform because you don't get to read the room, have that limbic resonance of what's happening. That's really 
probably one of my greatest skills as a teacher is being able to feel that out. And, um, but so listening still listening, um, to the student, what they need. Um, and if you feel called to it, to, to, to yes, say yes, do it. And maybe the next Alex Dawson teacher training is coming. <laughs> maybe. And you can be there. Maybe. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I had a, a similar experience in, uh, in the beginning with the whole teacher training, especially speaking of, you know, the imposter syndrome, even though I had a, at that point I have over 20 something years of practice and I've been teaching for a while. Still like, I, and I still to this point, I feel like I had no clue, but yet we start to, to grow into it and get a little bit more center in that sense. And I remember one of the pivotal moments to do it actually was somebody who told me like, you know, sometimes you just got to step out of that comfort zone. Mm. Just got to step out of the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Just go for it. And I was like, hmm. Because the whole idea of sitting down, the process of, I'm going to write a, a, a manual, mm -hmm. a teacher training manual. What, what, and, and that's a clear answer to the question of what is it that I'm teaching? Mm -hmm. When I sit down and start writing down, oh, wow. no, I, I want to teach this, 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 because through my own experience, I noticed this is, has, it has really worked for me. Mm -hmm. So before the mess this is what actually helped me to move through that mess in a more sort of easy way. And there's something very important to understand too about a little bit more uh, detour, but, but speaking of yoga instructors, it's just as humans and, and, and practicing, um, sometimes people get very hard on themselves because I'm a yoga instructor or I've been practicing for 30 years. I shouldn't be this way. You know, we all have the psychosis. We all have shortcomings and all that. That's not going to disappear But the practice is going to help to navigate through that in more so like gentle and, and, and kind way. It's not going to disappear. It's going to keep coming. It's part of it. Right. It's going to keep, and it does keep coming. So step out of the comfort zone. Yeah. Next teacher training with Alex Dawson. <laughs> and I, I can't wait to do retreats again too. Yes. That's really powerful and the uh, the podcast in a way and like having a chance to sit down with someone like you also is a way to honor honor a life commitment journey like you said it's a lot of people come into this field with a romantic idea I'm going to be mm -hmm. this and that and mm -hmm. maybe they come with the idea of helping and so mm -hmm. but it's not easy Oh, interesting. Yeah, it, you're right. It's not easy. I have a lot of people, yeah. contemporary people started with me as well, and they were very promising, mm -hmm. very talented. Three, four years burnt out. Uh, oh, yeah. Like you, I have moments like 10 years in teaching more that I will bang my head against the wall yeah. and like, God, what am I doing? I'm fucking showing up every day. Right. I'm doing my best. Why do I have to go through this shit? I can't handle anymore. My yeah. heart can't handle this anymore. 
and kind of go through it, go through it. And there is a cumulative effect teaching for this many years that this as many class because I really am a teacher who teaches like a full schedule for this whole time. (laughs) Um, And it would be nice to transition to a lighter schedule with other things going on. I think that's my, my hope. Um, But still like four classes a week would be really nice. Um, Rather than like, what, I'm at 15 right now. You're teaching 15 classes a week? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. How do you do it? A couple of them are not asana based. How do you do it? How do you have the How the, do I do it? The fuel, I mean, the heart it, that, for it. that lemon water in the morning. My yerba mate is how I do it. Um, my landlord knocking on my door. Oh my God. That's how I do it. But you know, it's, I think again, it's that magnet. I just do it. I know that this is, it's, it's what I'm doing right now. You do it uh, as an offering, as a bhakti yoga? As an offering? What do you mean? Like, like, um, especially for those for those who are listening, there are different kind of yogas, and one is called the bhakti yoga of yoga of the heart, yoga of surrendering, yoga of devotion, and that is a path of service. So, are you doing it? Do you feel like okay, I'm doing this. This is my offering for the better of the humanity. And no, no. How do you do? I think. Within the class, yes, I think for sure the thought of how can I help people today is in my, yes, but no, I'm paying my rent. I'm just going to be honest. I'm paying my bills. I'm a teacher. And every day I wake up, I also think, how can I help them today? So maybe it's a little bit of both. But oh, I'm not going to pretend that, that's I'm a not whole, also that's a trying whole, to pay yeah. my bills. Well, that's a, another whole podcast but that's, that's a very real. important that, that's a very important point because like an artist you can be an artist where you can just like to paint and you paint because it's your hobby and mm-hmm. because you like it but there's also if you want to make a living there's a business side to it mm-hmm. and in the yoga you know world if you want to make this also your your business. I guess I do wonder what it would be like if I had my finances from another means or if I was co-living or, you know, married or whatever. But I wonder if that would shift. Um, So the service element, I shouldn't downplay myself that much. The service element is there. It is a hundred percent there. It's just that I wouldn't, I wouldn't try to pretend I'm not also in a business. If you if you have a, uh, let's say you have a, a legal problem with a corporation and you want to hire the best lawyer you find and then you find, oh yeah, there's this guy, he has 20 years of experience in corporate law and he charges $1,000 for half an hour talk. He's the best. Will you even doubt on paying that? No. What is he providing? A service. So what is it different than us mm-hmm. providing the service of your instructors? And that's something, mm-hmm. um, especially again for a lot of people that identify with spirituality and all that with, I have to be broken and I have yeah. to beg. I believe that the more 
we balance out the energy of money, mm-hmm. right? The more we align that with our service as well, mm-hmm. the more we can provide a, a great service if we are in a good place and the more we can circulate that to create more goodness. I will always advocate for teachers to be paid well and myself and for other teachers. I'm with you on that. And I, if you're going to pay $12 for some cauliflower at Erewhon or, you know, like $500 for a bottle of wine, why would you not value the, the healing practice and the teaching and the dedication to, you know, to show up clear and, and truly want that someone's there to help you every time. So I think, and I, I am very, I'm pretty consistent as a teacher. I have had clients for over 10 years. Um, so yeah. And, and I'll advocate for myself and others on that. And that sort of ties in when I was asking you about what do you feel about the, the new teachers and the new way that this yoga sort of industry is moving and how in a way ties into, in some ways it feels like have the, um, our modern society as value the service that we're providing as a yoga instructors, are we getting paid well for all the time and effort that we have dedicated? I remember uh, one time in India, India, I was visiting some friends in Varanasi and they're Generations of musicians, this, this, this uh, particular combo is a father and, and son. They practice every single day from like 11 p.m. until 5 in the morning because that's a quiet time. They don't even go to sleep. They practice. Wow. And when this bhakti fasting began here in the States, yeah. they were um, actually, I met them through Mark Whitwell. I used to play with them. And when they were um, kind of like wanted back to Fez wanted to bring them, basically they were saying, oh yeah, come over. Uh, we'll give you a couple extra tickets and 500 bucks. And they were like, what? Where? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, and uh, so they actually ended up doing a lot of their work that do in Europe and Germany and so on because they recognized their, their, their you know, their value. talent and value. Yeah. And they were, well, good, good for the, I mean, I think that's, that's right. I mean, that's me personally. And I know not, I know out there someone might be listening, totally disagrees and that's okay. okay. I actually don't discuss my rates even with close friends sometimes because I know it, we're not in alignment on that and it's, it's okay. As I say, there's. There are two kind of people, uh, the kind of people that are under the influence of source and the kind of people that are not. So those who are under the influence of source might be drawn and connect with us. If those who are not, okay, God bless you. It's okay. It's, yeah. All right. Well, this seems like the perfect time to to close yes, this chapter. Thank you. What um what do you like to maybe um just let uh, the audience know about you're doing big Zoom invitations. Mm-hmm. Here's some big invitations, y'all. <laughs> I'm from Atlanta. Um, I'm doing weekly classes on Zoom. They're on my website, alexdawsonyoga.com, which, which is we're gonna we can add the info there. Add so you can find it. It's also my Instagram. 
And I'm doing right now once a week yoga in the park at Pan Pacific Park. We've tried that last Wednesday at 8.30. Is that around here? Yeah, it's really close to here. We are in um, Hollywood and Los Angeles. Kind of, it's more like almost the Grove. It's right by the Grove. Okay. And, um, and then... And are these classes donation-based? How that So far, everything has been donation-based during COVID. And when you ask great me about Great for taxes. Giving, great for taxes. <laughs> and I, I tie the, a part of it to different organizations. I give away a little bit as well. So I've done some Meals on Wheels, Black Lives Matter, ACLU, just giving some. And then I'm also working out, possibly doing some one-day retreat private events at a private home here where we could socially distance and truly create a little small retreat. Um, and that should be coming up within the next few weeks. Sound, bath, music. There I can bring my gong and my bowls. And <laughs> I do do sound bath live on Instagram um, every Tuesday night at 9. Every Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time, Western time, Pacific. Pacific Standard Time. Sound bath with Alex. Alex Dawson. Alex, it's been... Oh, and I'm on Wanderlust TV on Wednesdays at noon. Wanderlust TV. It's been such a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining here in Los Angeles. The breeze is carrying our skin. And uh, Rumi, little dog, is here with us. So... I have nothing but gratitude for this moment and I wish for you nothing but great success at all levels and please, this planet urgently needs more beings like you so continue with your beautiful, beautiful vision and keep on serving lots and lots of love. And I wanted to thank you, Andreas, for having me here and I want to always support you. And thank you because Andreas, y'all gave me my first harmonium. He yeah. is such a special human being. I love you so much. I love you too very much and deeply grateful. And like they say in India, hasta la vista, baby. 